The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus began speaking in the synagogue, saying, Today this scripture passage is fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke highly of him, and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They also asked, Isn't this the son of Joseph? And he said to them, Surely you will quote me this proverb, Physician, cure yourself, and say, Do here in your native place the things that we heard were done in Capernaum. And he said, Amen, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own native place. Indeed, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was closed for three and a half years, and a severe famine spread over the entire land. It was to none of these that Elijah was sent, but only to a widow in Zarephath in the land of Sidon. Again, there were many lepers in Israel during the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When the people in the synagogue heard this, they were all filled with fury. They rose up, drove him out of town led him to the brow of the hill on which their town had been built to hurl him down headlong. But Jesus passed through the midst of them and went away. The Gospel of the Lord. What a curious combination of readings we have today. Beginning with this statement of the Lord to the great prophet Jeremiah, which begins reasonably, familiarly, and with a certain consolation, if I called you from the womb, I've chosen you, I've commissioned you. And it all sounds so positive until we hear what that involves, which is a certain necessary opposition to the very people to whom he is called to preach. I am making you a fortified city, a pillar of brass, a wall of iron, against Israel's kings and rulers, against its priests and against its people. Great. Shocking statement if we pause over that that here the Lord raises one up in a certain oppositional relationship to his people. And note that the Lord doesn't sugarcoat it. They will attack you. They will try to wear you down and beat you down. I will uphold you. And... 
this sobering description that we have, this sobering statement on the part of the Lord to his prophet, is, is a theme that runs through sacred scripture, but again, is often overlooked, largely ignored. We like the positive descriptions of ministry, the positive descriptions of vocation. And yet the Lord here says, you will be my faithful prophet and the priests will oppose you and the people will oppose you and the rulers will oppose you. Not the pagans, but my people. Because there is that element of the word of God in the fullness of all of its truth, which is not merely our friend, but in a certain way is also our enemy. Because the prophet is called not merely to speak a word that is uplifting and consoling. The prophet is also called at times to tear down. That rebuilding can take place. And this is not a thoughtless, reckless, violent, destructive tearing down. But it is the tearing down of those false values, those false opinions of ourselves, those idols that we set up in our hearts. And this call of Jeremiah is set within the context of the fact that God's people have ceased to be faithful. But they flatter themselves that they are. And so the Lord is sending a prophet who will not flatter them. The Lord is sending a prophet who will not tell them what they want to hear. In our present context, it'd be kind of interesting to play a, a thought experiment. I'm going to go to the conference and hear this speaker because he's really good and I like what he has to say. And the Lord is saying, oh, and I'm going to send somebody else to that conference who you're not going to like. Who's going to speak a word that is painful, inconvenient, and difficult. But it's my word. And what you're going to want to do is run from it. And close yourself to it. And say, I'm going to go down the hall and cash in my ticket and go see that other guy. But the Lord is insisting, but my guy is this one here. It's, it's a remarkable vocation Jeremiah has. His was a painful vocation, a difficult vocation. Um, and in many ways, he is considered a type of Christ, especially in the way Jesus is met with resistance from his own people. He has come into what was his own, and his own people did not accept him, St. John writes. And what we see here again in Jeremiah is something that will be fulfilled to a greater degree in the life of Jesus, who on the one hand heals and teaches and extends mercy, but who on the other hand demands repentance and change and does not have a facile tolerance for our ability to deceive ourselves. And this is what we see, again, writ large in this incident in the synagogue, where our gospel reading today picks up from what we heard last week. The Lord reading from the prophet, announcing that today these words are fulfilled as you hear them, and we hear the continuation now. 
And apparently he continued speaking because we hear that everyone marveled at his gracious words and they were all impressed by him. And then the second guessing begins. But isn't he Joseph's son? Where does he get all of this? Who is he? On the one hand, they're fascinated. On the other, they're puzzled. And it's into that puzzlement that Jesus now speaks a word that, let's be honest, is anything but gracious. It is grace-filled, but it is not polite. And note that it is Jesus who is deliberately provocative here. You will undoubtedly say to me, work those same signs here for your friends, your relatives, your people, your kinsmen, your townspeople, that you did for everybody else. And what does Jesus say? No, I'm not going to do that. And again, he goes to the scriptures and he says, using the examples of Elisha and Elijah, these two great wonder-working prophets from earlier in Israel's history, that among their great deeds were things that were not done for Israelites. Rather, of all the people the Lord could have sent his prophet to, he didn't send them to the people who expected that they had a right to it. But they were sent someplace else. What a challenging statement that is. And here the Lord is cutting into our hearts, the hearts of his listeners, the hearts of the, belie of the believing community, about a certain facile entitlement that we can find ourselves with. You know, that's a word that gets thrown around a lot today, isn't it? Entitlement. We speak on some levels in popular culture of the younger generation being too entitled. Um, and it's always a negative word, you know. Unlike us who had to work for everything we have, they just get it all. And they expect it. Well, you know, the funny thing, though, is for thousands of years, the Lord has looked at his own people and said, oh, they're too entitled. They're too entitled. They feel, and again, shocking as it will be for me to say this, we are not entitled to the mercy of God. That's not our right. But when we take it for granted, and this is what Jesus is pointing out, you think you're entitled to a miracle because you have a certain relationship with me. You think you're entitled to a certain treatment, but you're not entitled to it at all. There is no entitlement to mercy or else there is no such thing as mercy. By definition, an act of mercy goes beyond what I'm entitled to. What I'm entitled to is punishment for my sins. What I'm entitled to is accountability before the Lord. What I'm entitled to by my own little goodness is not an awful lot. I may need mercy, but I'm not entitled to mercy. The beautiful thing 
is that this is where the greatness of Christ is. This is not about what I owe you because I owe you nothing. This is not about what you deserve because if, you des- if, you, if we all got what we deserve, if we think the congregation is small right now, none of us would be here. Rather, this is about what the excess of love in my heart would do for you when you stop taking me for granted. And note the response. Jesus challenges a congregation that is taking him for granted and says, I'm not going to give you what you want. And what is the response? Anger. Destructive violent anger. Cancel culture is nothing new. We see it right here. Here's the inconvenient word. And again, note the sobering reality. It's the religious believers in the synagogue listening to the God they believe in who want to cancel him. This is not a conservative or liberal matter. It's a matter of how warped the human heart can be in its selfishness. And so here it is. They take him to throw him off the cliff and be rid of him because that's not the message they came to hear. And if we read that passage slowly, that is horrifying and shocking. This unreasonable reaction. It's not just that I'm angry and I'm never going to come back here again but that I am going to do whatever I can to be rid of him. This is how the human heart often reflexively reacts when it feels threatened, when something cuts a little too close to the truth. It's what sometimes makes those arguments at home more violent than they need to be. It's what makes our cultural conversation more violent than it has any right to be. When we all act out of a sense of being threatened. And yet here we see in Jesus, there's a certain way that he is not afraid to challenge us. Not afraid even to threaten us in the sense of calling into question our false sense of who we are and thinking what we're entitled to. And he does that not to break us. He does that not to wound us. He does that not because he likes hurting us. He does that because that's the way he needs to so that our hearts can learn to open up to him in all of his fullness. And note, try as they might, they had no power to get rid of him. Try as they might, he passed through their violent hands and went on his way. And here the Lord sounds that note, there is no power of the closed heart to do away with me. There is no power in this recklessly, selfishly violent world to do away with me. It will try. It will try. But I will pass through the midst of those violent hands which cannot grasp And so the story ends with this marvelous notion. People are trying to grab hold of Jesus. And don't we use that a lot of times as an image in our own prayer? 
to grab onto Jesus, to hold on to him. And, but we see that violent heart can't hold him, can't grab him, can't grasp him. A different kind of heart will be able to, but not that heart that is closed in on itself. That's why it's beautiful that we have this magnificent reading from St. Paul today, the single most popular reading for the celebration of weddings. Catholic weddings, Protestant weddings, they almost all use the love reading. Even non-Christians will often read from St. Paul here because we like the love reading. But as we listen to it on those days, in the sentimentality, we very easily miss the forcefulness and the power of St. Paul's words here, where he says, without genuine and real love, it doesn't matter what else I have within me, because everything else won't get me anywhere, however much it impresses the world around me. But then he goes on to say, but let's be careful about identifying what exactly it is that needs to be in the heart. And as often as we hear these words, love is patient, love is kind in certain contexts, if we slow down and really listen to those words, it's almost like there are just a slap in the face with regard to how impatient I am to how unkind I can be, to how quick-tempered I can be. If we slow down and engage those words, they are challenging. In fact, many people sometimes will ask the question of, how do I make a good examination of conscience before confession? One of the best places is go right to this reading and sit with this description of what St. Paul is saying needs to be in the heart and how we identify it. And in very short order, by reading those words and looking at my relationships and looking at my attitudes, I will see an awful lot that I need to bring before the Lord in search of his mercy. And that's a good thing because then St. Paul is also giving us a roadmap for how we need to grow. He shows us these positive elements, these positive virtues. Not so that if we read that list and say, oh my God, I have none of these, that then I give up. But rather so that as I read it, I can get a sense of this is what I'm called to be. And nothing else. This. This is the kind of person I'm called to be. Sometimes we wonder about what is it that I need to do. And St. Paul is saying, why don't we start right here? And the beautiful thing is that this is exactly why Jeremiah is raised up as that oppositional prophet. This is exactly why Jesus speaks to that false entitlement in the hearts of his hearers. Because Jesus is saying this necessary charity, this necessary goodness, that is the foundation of everything else in the heart and the spiritual life needs to be there. And we need to cut through what's not that so that we have a chance of rooting what really matters to eternity within us. And the very beautiful thing 
So when we come forward in just a couple minutes and stretch out our hands to receive Jesus, as challenging as his presence can and must be within us, we are also stretching out our hands to that one who in himself is the very perfection of those words. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love endures all things. Love bears all things. St. Paul is simply unpacking the heart of Jesus Christ for us, that heart that we receive in this great sacrament. Amen.